Today's episode is brought to you by Bugaboo, award-winning prams and strollers to help families create endless moments of fun and discovery every step of the way. Bugaboo believes that families don't have to go all that far to discover a world of something new. Designing extraordinary parenting solutions that make spending time together with your child exciting, memorable, and most importantly, fun, no matter where you go. Hello and welcome. Well, you may have heard the proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. And for so many reasons in our hectic, busy, and stressful day-to-day lives these days, it's not always possible to receive the direct support and guidance from our family and loved ones like generations before us had. You know, the true meaning behind that proverb is that it means that an entire community of people must provide for and interact positively with children for those children to experience and grow in a safe and healthy environment. You know, we all know that our parents' and grandparents' lives generally experienced a much slower pace, more peaceful, should we say, maybe, (laughs) and much less chaotic than ours. But, you know, family generally, it seems, lived closer together and had, well, it seems, I guess, more time. And this is mainly due to the fact, I believe, that their attention wasn't being swayed and influenced, (laughs) mind that word, by external forces like social media and the likes. You know, daily conversations asking parents, grandparents, aunties, friends and other loved ones around us in our circles for knowledge on the how to, what to do, what should I do when, what do I do to stop this from happening don't seem to occur as easily and frequently as they once did, it feels. And to me, that's that's so deeply sad. But thankfully, you know, technology does have an upside and that is that it gives us direct access to experts and thought leaders who can share their wisdom, their knowledge and their expertise to help us fill this gap, you know, to help us build our virtual community of people that we actually choose to help us ensure that our children grow up in a safe and healthy environment. And not only do these experts share their their knowledge and their expertise through their qualifications, but additionally, they can layer scientific studies and research on top of that to further inform and support us, which is exactly what we're here to discuss today. Now, I am so excited, you have no idea, to welcome uh, a very special guest of ours and one of our partners here at Kittypedia and someone that on a personal level I have so much, a ton of admiration and respect for, the one and only Pinky McKay, one of Australia's most recognised and respected breastfeeding experts. You know, Pinky for thousands and thousands of mums has been the go-to resource and expert with her sage knowledge and wisdom on breastfeeding and one person that we definitely need in our village and circle or tribe to help us raise our children. Welcome, Pinky. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing fine, thanks. I'm a bit croaky. I've had a little bit of a lurgy, but um, that's okay. We'll go deep and sexy. <laughs> well, you look as fabulous as ever. And just for everybody watching and listening, I'm just going to tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, so Pinky McKay is an international 
um, international board certified lactation consultant, best-selling author of four titles, including Parenting by Heart and Sleeping Like a Baby. Now, Pinky is an award-winning businesswoman. Pinky is the creator of Booby Foods, an all-natural all and organic booby bickies, uh, brekkie teas, bone broth to nourish breastfeeding mums and personally you've got to try the bickies and the muesli they are absolutely delicious I can actually vouch for those Uh, and And you don't even have to have a baby to try them (laughs) they are absolutely and I'm I'm not just saying that they are delicious no I know you're not just blowing smoke it's they actually are quite lovely (laughs) yeah Now, Pinky also offers um, business boot camp for lactation consultants in private practice. And, you know, her real world experience stems from being a mum of five and a grandmother of four. Talk about having skin in the game. Um, Pinky's also spoken across Australia and New Zealand and the United States and has presented a popular TEDx talk, which is just incredible. Uh, Surrender is not a dirty word. Now, her reach extends worldwide. Her books, her e-programs, her blogs, and highly engaged Facebook and Instagram pages. And just above all, you know, Pinky is just a beautiful human being, and I think the world of her. So thank you so much. And look, congratulations on an incredible career to date. I'd love to know just initially what inspired you to all of this line of work. Well, it's really all been so organic, so gradual. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I've reached out and sometimes people have tapped me on the shoulder and said, could you do this? Like, for instance, the TED Talk, someone came and said to me, we want you to do a TED Talk at our TED whatever, and I'm going, oh, okay. I've never been so (laughs) terrified in all my life. And yet speaking has never, ever bothered me. But to stand on that little red circle and have the bright light in your eyes and you can't see the audience because I'm really a you know, person-to-person chat kind of person and then to find that, you know, that was scary. But I think a lot of it goes back to when I had my first baby. I was very isolated in that I had an older sister-in-laws with babies but they had all done routine, they were formula fed. I had been a nurse, so um, but it was in the era of not many women breastfeeding. So the women that I did... you know, it was in New Zealand when I did my training and the women who were breastfeeding seemed to recover so much more quickly than the women who were binding themselves up so they didn't breastfeed. Also, I had been breastfed, so I knew that. And I'd grown up in the country with, you know, watching calves and lambs and horses be born. So it was all very natural to me, but then to be struck into this very artificial thing, my baby was um, put into NICU because he got an infection, even though he was a fat nine-pounder. You know, all those sorts of things that led me. And I was, after three months, I was the only person I knew who was breastfeeding. Thankfully, I had a fun child health nurse and she said to me, how many feeds a day is your baby having? And I said, I don't know. And she said, has he dropped any feeds? I said, oh, maybe he's gone from 24 to 20. (laughs) I, I didn't honestly think about, you know, everybody else was doing four hourly feedings, six, 10, two and six. And I was given the talk that at six weeks old, I needed to give my baby a bottle of boiled water in the middle of the night and he would stop waking for night feeds. And I just thought that was the most ridiculous thing I had ever heard of, that, you know, a baby could go, what, 10 hours, 8 to 10 hours at night at six weeks old. That just, But my baby had been admitted back into hospital too. And I thought, why would you get up and boil water and sterilise a bottle when you've got milk in your boobs? None of that made sense to me. But now we know that giving your body a baby under six months water is actually dangerous 
Yes. So, you know, it, it, it can mess up their electrolytes and cause brain damage. It's pretty terrible. So my kids should be grateful. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. Over there, my husband's an Aussie. When my baby was almost a year old and I went along to a Laleche League meeting to find out how to wean this child because I had no idea, but I was getting, you know, here's a walking, talking 12-month-old baby and I was told that, you know, it was time to wean him and I went on and I was so relieved when I realised that my baby would probably wean himself when he was ready. Yes. And that just felt, and having older women, having that village of women who were at different stages, some of them had several children, some of them were like me with their first baby, just having that village of variety and being accepted and being loved for what I was doing was such a great feeling. And I think that in, that has influenced me an enormous amount that, you know, mothers, I've never met a mother who wasn't doing her best. Yes. You know, it, she's doing her best. And intuitively she is, you know, even when they ask a question and I usually say to mothers, what do you feel is happening? And not what do you think, but what do you feel is happening? They'll nail it. Mothers, you know, you know, you know what you know your baby, but you know if they're a bit confused. So then I, um, I couldn't find my village when we did move back to New Zealand. About five years later, I had my third baby who was six months old, and I went to a talk, well-known university person who was talking about not even control crying, just extinction. Just you know, somebody said when my baby wakes up, how long should I leave them to cry? And he said, until they stop. I was mortified. And, you know, then I went to a conference, a nursing mother's conference in Sydney to demonstrate a breast pump that had been invented by a New Zealand um, scientist. And it was one of the very first electric breast pumps. It was a big clumsy thing that you wheeled around the ward, but it had very soft cups. It was very comfortable for mothers. And, um, I was asked to put my six-month-old baby in the creche. And I thought, why would I put my baby, who's, you know, a little tiny person in a creche with strangers? Like yeah. at six months old, separation anxiety is pretty wild. You know, there'd be no adjustment getting into, you know, I'm not saying don't put your kid in childcare. I'm saying they all need orientation. They all need to know their carers, to get a chance to bond with their carers, all of that. So that seemed utterly ridiculous when there are all these beautiful photos of breastfeeding babies all around this fancy hotel room but not a baby in sight. Now, the ABA is not like that now. This was just in the very conservative days, you know, 30 or so years ago. Anyway, there I met another woman who um, was very high up in their committee and she lived quite close to me and we discussed and I said, I'm going to start a LHA League group. I'll just put a notice in the local paper and see how many people turn up. Mothers turned up who'd been to LHA League, which is an international organisation, Turkey, South Africa, the UK, wow. Ireland, you know, like so many different, Australia, New Zealand, women who had ended all around the world. So we had this lovely multicultural group um, of mothers who all had a similar mothering philosophy. And that, you know, again, that's the village. I think even if you have to put up a notice in your child health nurses' rooms, um, you know, I feel yeah. so sorry for mums in the last couple of years because they haven't, they haven't yeah. had them. In Melbourne in particular, we've been so locked down um, that the mums who had babies in 2020, I mean, my own daughter had a, her baby in 2020 in Dubai 
in April 2020. And, you know, March, I was all ready to go, but shut down and yeah. she was in full lockdown. So, you know, these mums haven't had their village. You know, but you, you're really renowned for being an advocate of support. Uh, and reading one of your quotes, you know, support is essential for all new mothers and the professionals who work with them. By lifting each other up, uh, women thrive, mothers can reach their breastfeeding goals, and families can enjoy a gentle, connected beginning. That's that's your quote. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, why do you, <laughs> I mean, why do you think support? What's that? Sorry? My goal is to see every mother with a baby in her arms and a smile on her face. Like yeah. there's so much struggle and there's so much noise about what women should do. Um, you know, it's great to have the knowledge, but working out what knowledge is going to feel right for you and your baby is really yeah. important. But look, why do you think support is so essential though? I don't think we were ever meant to do it all on our own. I think it's such a big, intense demanding role and mothers in particular I mean partners fathers whatever however your family is your whole family needs support at this you know at this time and I think we need support throughout our life of some sort you know just a couple of good buddies is nice um you know to help you get through and sometimes just to talk it through I think I often think of Paul Hogan when one of the movies and someone was going to a shrink and he, not, I'm not saying don't see a psychologist, absolutely not, my daughter's one. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not saying that. But when he said, why do you need a shrink? Haven't you got any good mates? Yeah. And I and, think, you know, yeah. setting up that support network before you have that baby is, you know, have you got a good GP who's going to listen to you and support you? Um, and you can ask your GP. Have you breastfed? Did your partner breastfeed? Just to get some feel for what kind of parenting, you know, that they did. If they advise you to grab a book that's strict routines um, or feeding schedules or whatever, step away. And you want someone that's going to support you. And, and you, you mentioned this before about that the mums have that natural instinct themselves, that innately within themselves, no. Um, and so you know, you're renowned for specialising in gentle parenting styles that, that really honour uh, a mother's natural instincts and response to their babies. So is it just the fact that, w- that mums should really just treat uh, trust their own natural instincts a little bit more then? Really, we do need to trust that, but it's very hard to say to someone, I'll just trust your instincts when there's so much noise around. And there has been for more than one generation. You know, when I had my children, there was, I think we've had so much information and at the touch of Dr. Google, you can get another whole lot more that completes it. And one of the biggest things that mothers say is when they've had their baby and they're in hospital and they get so many different bits of advice from different staff members. And that's not the staff member's fault necessarily because, you know, one staff member might be telling her what's appropriate for day one and then someone comes along on day two and they're giving her information that's appropriate for that stage but she's in between the two and I think if you are muddled up because you've got your hormones, you know, going around you, you've got other people's opinions around you, it can be very hard to just sort of be at peace and think, how do I feel? What do I feel is going on? So I'd say, ask yourself, filter it by, is it safe? Is it respectful? And that's respectful to your baby too, leaving them to cry. 
you know, in another room or wherever is just not respectful. If you're holding them as they cry, that's different. But, you know, to just toss your baby in the back room um, is not respectful. And does it feel right for me? Because there will be things you want to try. Try them. But then if they upset you or your baby, question it. Yeah. Now, I wanted to acknowledge we've published an article of yours uh, and the title is New Treatment for Mastitis, What You Need to Know. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, please tell us what this article is about and what inspired you to write it. Mastitis is one of the things that most mothers are terrified of when they're breastfeeding. And, you know, you'll only need to have it once and you'll know when it's coming ever again. Yeah. And you'll be onto it really quickly. But any time that, and, and I think because it's winter, it's flu season very much because we've been a bit isolated and there just seems to be this infectious. I mean, I hadn't had flu for 15 years and I've got the flu last week. So, I'd say, you know, regardless of your immune system, but any time you feel fluey while you're breastfeeding, be suspicious that it could be mastitis um, coming on, um, you know, and check your boobs. Are your boobs feeling sore? Are they feeling overfull? Is there a red sore spot on them? But often that shivery feeling, that fevery feeling will come on before the rest of it. And with mastitis, you usually feel, well, you can feel really emotional and teary. And, you know, this, fragile sort of feeling um you know it can be quite devastating because you think what's happening to me and then you'll get the sore breast or you'll get you know it can just be quite sudden that it comes on that you feel this you know shattered and aching and chills and fever so for anyone watching and listening to hear it from from yourself from an expert what exactly is mastitis and what are the symptoms if you're suffering from it just to clarify well, it's actually a medical illness, so take it seriously and rest. Don't try and soldier on. You know, we, we keep getting told, um, soldier on. <clears throat> now, in the past, mastitis was always attributed to an infection in the breast, and we used to call it a breast infection, you know, where it's actually inflammation of the breast. And it's, you know, the newer evidence that's been published in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine shows that it's a spectrum it can be, um, you know, it's resulting from the inflammation of milk ducts and some edema around those. And then if those, that congestion and blocked ducts are worse by, you know, pumping and pumping and emptying your, I mean, yes, you do want your breast not to be overfull or anything like that because that will cause pressure that's going to increase this inflammation. But the... Um, inflammatory mastitis can develop from these blocked ducts and then the um, bacterial mastitis can follow and bacterial mastitis can also happen if you've got damaged nipples and a bit of um, bacteria gets in as well as too yeah so what actually causes mastitis then well it can come from you know i would say the biggest factors are overdoing it being exhausted, being run down, and your immune system is impacted um, would be that. It's not just every time you run down, you're going to get mastitis. But, you know, if you have a bit of problem with your letdown, things like going on a long car trip, your baby sleeps longer, you've got a seatbelt pressing on your breast, um, causing a blockage in those ducts, and so you can get inflammation. Wearing bras with um, dewars can cause a bit of pressure against your breast. Um, being over full, like um, 
what do you call it, oversupply of breast milk. People say, oh, so what's wrong with oversupply? And you go, well, firstly, it's bloody painful. You know, you've, you've got, um, you know, tight breasts that feel sore because they're full, but also, um, you know, the flow and the and, you know, that you keep that milk flowing. So, you know, that's important too. So I'd say also check your baby's attachment that, you know, that they are latched on really well because if they're not latched well, um, some babies might have a tongue tie and they're not emptying all the ducts around the breast properly. So um, also scheduling feeds and waiting between feeds, you know, stretching them out can cause this stasis, the milk being full, the breast being over full, tight, and <clears throat> causing some inflammation there. So my big rule is watch your baby, not the clock. And any other as winter feed. Any other sort of top tips, I guess, to prevent mastitis from developing? You're saying you're talking about the flow. You're talking about ensuring um, that the babies are are fed on schedule. Is there anything else? No, not on schedule. Don't do them on schedule. Watch your baby's signals. Yeah, watch your baby's hunger signals. That's why watch the baby, not the clock. So when those early hunger signals feed the baby, because your baby and your breast will be in sync. And so you'll be emptying your breast according to your baby's needs and you won't be overstimulating. You know, a lot of women are using pumps as they breastfeed or putting, you know, using pumps a lot more than they need to. You know, unless you're actually leaving your baby separated, you probably don't need a pump at all. Now, women have breastfed without pumps in all cultures, all (laughs) generations years and learning to hand express because that's a good gentle tool you can use if you do feel tight and over full but you know stretching out feeds too long and overnight if you're feeling you know wake up and your breasts are tight pick up your baby they'll just take enough off just to um, make you comfortable usually yeah if not you can hand express a little bit Um, but being careful not to cause that oversupply and taking care of yourself because if you're Looking after yourself, your immune system is going to be stronger. Yeah. Now, Pinky, I understand there's findings um, from new research from the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. What can you tell us about this new research? Well, one of the things we used to do to treat mastitis, we had this little mantra that said, warmth, rest and empty the breast. You keep your body warm if you've got the shivers, but we used to apply heat packs to the block ducts and to the um, sore part of mastitis. Now, you can apply a little bit of heat, like perhaps a warm shower or a warm pack before feeds. But for instance, if it's inflammation, you wouldn't put a heat pack on a swollen ankle. You would be putting something cool on it. Yes. So, excuse me. So, Instead of that, it's almost the opposite. You know, applying a cool compress between feeds will help take that inflammation down. Um, <clears throat> a lot of women would massage those blocked ducts. Well, that again can make the inflammation worse. Um, you know, it might feel comfortable to have a bit of a, a rub, but um, gentle massage, if you're going to do any massage, but gentle massage away from the nipple, towards the armpit, so up here like this, if you can see that video, Um, it's lymphatic drainage. It's going to help 
take extra fluid, not milk, away from that inflamed part of the breast. So, but very, very gentle. Probably no more pressure than if you would put your hand across your eyelid. Gotcha. Um, you know, very, very gentle pressure. Don't try the um, Harker pump with Epsom salts and warm water. That is not recommended. I mean, it's often recommended on Instagram or social media, but don't do that to get a block ducked out. If it's inflammation, you're not helping. Um, you know, and overstimulation of the milk flow. So we talked about warmth. We talked about emptying the breast. So we would empty the breast and pump, but there's a chance or pump or express or feed frequently. Now, if you feed according to your baby's cues, you're not going to overstimulate that milk so that you end up with a bit of an oversupply. And quite honestly, I have seen very few mothers with mastitis who stimulate an oversupply. Often it feels as though you've got a bit of a drop in your milk supply at that time. Don't worry, it will be fine. And your breasts are like rivers. They keep on making milk. As long as that baby's being fed, they will make milk. So, you know, just feed according to your baby rather than extra pumping or extra expression because that can end up making your milk supply more and it causes a bit more pressure in those ducts. So instead of warmth and emptying the breast, you know, cool and watching your baby's cues and allowing the baby to do the emptying is going to be absolutely fine, very gentle massage, lymphatic drainage type massage. And rest, of course, is really important. I heard, heard that loud. And I would say that rest is really important. You know, you've got, you're heading towards a medical illness, but if you allow that breast to become too full or you stimulate too much, it can end up with, you know, you could get the inflammation so bad and get some infection that you actually need to go to hospital, have IV antibiotics, have that breast drained because you've got an abscess. You know, all of that is terrible. So if you can hit it off at the pass by doing these gentle things, and cool compresses are easy. You can either grab a packet of frozen vegetables out of the freezer or and wrap them in a tea towel or a nappy and, you know, or something cloth. That, and then just pop them on your maybe a pillowcase even. I'm just thinking people probably don't have cloth nappies like they used to in the old days. Oh, and they're pop coming that back. on your boot. <laughs> oh, yeah, cloth, modern cloth nappies, but they're not those big squares that we yeah, used to yeah, have that you mean, could wrap yes. something in. Yeah, so use those to make a cool compress or get a disposable nappy, wet it under the tap and then freeze it. It'll wrap around your boob beautifully. And that will make a nice cool pack. And how for you. how long do you keep it on there? I mean, how do you know? Well, it's going to start melting, and your boob is going to start feeling more comfortable. You can okay. take it off. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not going to melt and drip all over you. Not a um, you know, disposable nappy because it's got that lining. But you'll feel that it's not as cool anymore. But it's just enough cool to um, make you feel comfortable. And you can use cabbage leaves, but just as soon as they wilt, take them off. But cabbage don't put them leaves. Across. Yes, it's an old wives' tale. Wow. Uh, they seem to have some sort of anti-inflammatory thing. And, I love um, it. Yes, yeah, so if your breasts are engorged, you can use a cabbage leaf. Now wash them or use an organic and wash them. Um, wrap them around the breast, but don't cover the nipple because your baby's not going to like the smell of, you know, wilted cabbage or the taste of it. <laughs> so, you know, just the top of the boob and as they will take them off because you don't want to leave those on. And you might do that a couple of times a day rather than leave, you know, you don't on and on and on because there is something in there and, you know, some women have felt that that can reduce their milk supply. 
I don't know how that would work, but I'd say just be careful, but it can be really helpful. And when my one of my daughters had her baby, the one that had her baby in Melbourne, I had bought a cabbage and put it in their fridge, you know, this organic cabbage, but um, about she had a birth center birth, so she was home the next day. And about three or four days later, I'd popped in um, with a friend, you know, she's always called this friend auntie, and she just thrust the baby at me. It was the day that her milk was coming in, obviously, and she was quite engorged, just thrust at me and said, take tears, we're rolling out her and her husband at the time said, you know, when he opened the door and I'd warned him about mothers having the blues a few days in and he came to the door and said, I'm really worried about her. She's really crying and upset today. And I said, it's okay. This is, you know, three or four days in and it's her normal. milk's probably on the way in. It's a big hormonal change. I said, I've seen women throw vacuum cleaners out the back door in those in this sort of state. <laughs> and anyway, had, she handed me the baby and I took him out and gave him a bath and said to her husband, you know, can you make her a cup of tea, give her some Panadol, put her in, you know, and she she have a nice warm shower, you know, just so she can feel better. And then took the baby back to her and I said, oh, Jane, to my friend, can you grab a cabbage out of the fridge? I said, um, you know, couple of bring in a couple of leaves. And she said to me, do I have to wash it? I said, it's organic. Now, her husband and my friend whose children are adopted just cracked up laughing at the witch doctor with the cabbage leaves. Anyway, they took it in. My daughter put the cabbage leaf on her breast and went, ah. And just as she looked down, there's a caterpillar going to the <laughs> She burst out laughing. And that was the, like the switch that switched off the tears. And, you know, your hormones are nuts when you've just had a baby. So oh, that's she was hilarious. Like, yeah, it was really funny, this little <laughs> caterpillar going, the leaf up her boob. <laughs> That is that there to help. Now, earlier on, you um, had alluded to that there's different types of mastitis. Can you maybe just quickly just explain what the different types are? Yeah, well, it comes along a spectrum from, you know, straight up, um, you know, block ducts um, and this inflammatory type mastitis through to um, it can develop and it can become um, an infect- infectious bacterial mastitis, yeah. Yeah, so if it's left untreated, it can it gradually gets worse. Is that right? Yeah. Well. Yeah. 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 So, so generally, once um, somebody knows that they have mastitis, um, you know, how do you treat it? I know in your article you list seven points. Are there some of them that you could maybe go th- through with us now? That would be great. Absolutely. You know, apply your cold compresses, which will be you know wrapped ice packs, frozen peas. Um, your frozen vegetables, wrap something around them, or you can wet a disposable nappy and freeze it and then wrap it around your boobs and then take it off. So that coolness um, will help gentle sweeping lymphatic massage. So, you know, using your fingers very gently, Not you're not massaging that lump out because that can, you know, you, when you think about it, if you had a sprained ankle and you rubbed it hard, it would become it. more inflamed. Yeah. yeah, it's going to agitate it. So very gentle sweeping massage up towards the armpits and out towards the armpits rather than, um, you know, you're not trying to get the milk out. You're trying to just get rid of extra fluid that has happened because of the um, um, the inflammation. And that's helping reducing the inflammation. If you need pain relief, take some over-counter medications such as Panadol or Nurofen. 
Yep. Um, and that won't hurt your baby going through your milk. It's, you know, a lot of women are very reluctant to take any medication at all because, you know, it's going to pass through the milk and it might upset my baby, but it won't. Drink plenty of fluids and increase the anti-inflammatory foods in your diet. So things like um, fruits such as citrus, um, berries, um, green vegetables. You know, you could make yourself a juice even possibly and eat that. But if you're not feeling well, you haven't got time for that. Look, one of our um, booby teas is actually an immunity tea and it's got dragon fruit in it. Oh, and, yum. Yeah. So it's a really beautiful pink bright pink tea. So that would be a good thing to be drinking. Um, some women find ultrasound treatment by a physiotherapist can be really helpful um, there. But, I mean, if you're stuck at home and, you, you know, you might do that for recurrent mastitis, but you often don't. But it's not always a bacterial infection. So you don't always need antibiotics. But if you are prescribed antibiotics, and I'd say give yourself 24 hours if you're feeling really rubbish, get yourself to a doctor. doctor and yeah. when, you, when you make that appointment, ring the surgeon and say, I have mastitis, so that they get you in quickly. You know, you can't wait three days for an appointment. Yep. Just in case it gets worse. You might be given a script for antibiotics. You can then wait and see if things get worse before you take them. But if you take antibiotics, you need to take the full course. Yeah. If you do take them. You don't always need them. And, you know, you can head mastitis off at the pass so that, you know, you're better in 24 to 48 hours, you're okay. Gotcha. So by doing those, you know, getting onto it quickly with your cold compresses and resting with your baby. I would say Netflix and chill has a whole different mother, a different meaning when you're a breastfeeding mother. <laughs> you're the best. <laughs> but you do stress not to stop breastfeeding as well. Oh, absolutely. Don't stop breastfeeding. No, because then, you know, that milk will build up. You'll become sore. And also your baby's not going to get any infection. The infection, if you do have infection, it's in your gut. It's not in, it's in your tissues. It's not in the milk. The milk is fine. Yeah. And yeah, breast yeah. milk anyway, even if it was in the breast milk, the breast milk, your immune system is going to make antibodies to whatever infection but you or your baby have come in contact with. Yeah. And, and as we were talking before and the article sort of leads on to as well, you, you do state that mastitis can often often be prevented with some simple strategies and sensible self-care me measures. So um, obviously we'll have a link um, in the show notes for anyone wanting to, to read the rest of your article. But I mean, the last question I really wanted just to, to pick your brain on, but it's just how does mastitis affect the baby and what should mothers do about it? Does it affect the baby in any way at all? No, no, it doesn't affect the baby, which is great. Yeah, yeah. So, That's really yeah, I mean, it's know. good to know your baby's not going to get sick because you've got mastitis. I, I know with, again, with my first baby, not much known about it. I went to a doctor because I had a lump in my breast. He was about eight months old. And the doctor pressed my breast and got squirted in the eye. Because oh. I, I went along with a lump in my breast. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. So and from caterpillars I, to, to doctors get caterpillars to, doctors <laughs> to cabbage on your boobs. Oh, some, this yeah, chat's got yeah. everything. <laughs> <laughs> you have to laugh. And then I went to New Zealand and I actually got a pretty full-blown case of mastitis, went to the doctor, and he handed me a script. He didn't even look at my breast, this old guy. And I went back to my grandmother's 
And then I looked at these pills. Oh, that's right. He said to me across the table, your milk will dry up very quickly. And I went, what? I'm traveling at the moment. I'm not going to suddenly wean an eight-month-old, nine-month-old by then or whatever it is. And I got back to my grandmother's and my cousin was there and she's a pharmacist. So she looks at these pills and says, you can't breastfeed on them. And I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do? I'm not taking them yet. And my old popper, a farmer, sitting in the corner in the armchair, heard us and he said, you take the calf off the cow, it'll bellow for a week. And I said, oh, shit. I went and breastfed my baby, put him to bed. I had a nap and I woke up and I went, nah, damn it, they're going down the toilet. So I just put those pills down the toilet, took the antibiotics, but put the drying up pills down the toilet. And I went and found um, my nana went down to the local baby shop and she knew the lady there and she said, you know, Eileen said, you ring these people. And it was Lalache League. It was the local Lalache League group leader. So it was just my, that was where my sort of support started from women who knew about breastfeeding. Yeah, and and trusting your own instincts, which is a a beautiful full circle for the chat today is what we said at the very start. So I guess, I mean, if you've got any key messages for anyone watching and listening, um, what would would, would be your main takeaways um, from our chat today? I would say trust your baby and their communication with you and trust yourself and trust that beautiful connection that you have with your baby because it's your connection with your baby and all that noise around you that becomes confusing and you really do have it. You know, you have the hormones that are going to make you responsive to your baby. You, you're well, baby. And if your baby's unwell, of course you go and get some advice from somebody else. You go to a health professional. But, you know, basically trust that you're doing a damn good job because you are. Today has been an absolute pleasure and an honour, Pinky. If anyone has got any questions they want to reach out to you, of course, buy any of your products um, or, and have you within their tribe um, in any way, any way, shape or form with all of the fantastic products and services that you have, where can they find you? <laughs> well, on Instagram, I'm Pinky McKay one because another laugh. There's a used car salesman called Pinky McKay with about five friends. <laughs> And <laughs> I'm on Facebook. Um, also, there's lots of um, information on my website, which is pinkymckay.com. And I've got episodes of a podcast called Tits Up there. I need to do some more, but, you know, I've had a break. Um, it's about 30 episodes there, though. Um, also, um, on the Booby Foods website, which is boobyfoods.com.au. Okay, we'll have all of those links in the show notes um, and I can't wait to have another chat with you again in the not too distant future. But until then, get well, stay safe and I will chat to you. But thank you again. Big love. Thank you. Big love. That was fun. (laughs) Okay, bye. (laughs) I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.